All right, you're back in the DFSR. It's a PGA podcast for Tuesday, June 30th. I'm Doug Norrie, and over there is Chris Durrell. How's it going, man? Back for another week. Week four of the podcast. I know. I love it. We're actually getting new podcast art uh, coming down the pike here because this podcast right now is existing on either our NBA, NFL, or MLB feeds, wherever you have been listening to it but in the process of creating our own pga feed which will be its own separate podcast feed so um thanks for all you that have been kind of jumping along with the other sports as we as we put pga pga out here uh in this void of sports but i but chris and i are going to keep this going after things return so that the podcast is going to damn get right it's own yeah it's just going to get its own feed which i think is right so um that we just need to cup, button up a couple little things to be able to do that so keep an eye out for the PGA podcast to come out. We have a ton to talk about this week. Rocket Mortgage Classic. I uh, did want to talk a little bit about the Travelers because uh, we are just still, we still live in an age of quarantines and, uh, you know, scratches and people testing positive and PGA is not immune, no pun intended, to that <laughs> uh, to, to that eventuality. And this, we had a very weird week last week with a bunch of um, a bunch of guys just kind of pulling. Brooks Gapka pulls because his caddy test positive. Uh, there was a few other ones. Who were some of the other ones? I should have just had uh, Chase. I mean, he was his brother Chase, yeah. his caddy, um, Webb Simpson. He didn't have it, but he was more of a what was the word they used last week or the phrase? An abundance of caution. Withdrew with an abundance of caution. So yeah, there was. Yeah, I think he had been in the, He had been six. like in contact. Yeah, he had been in contact with someone that had tested positive. And yes. uh, there were some other ones too. It's just something. And then a couple. Bud Cauley withdrew after the first day, I believe. Yes. Um, and so there, and maybe even JT Poston. I can't remember. There was a bunch of. There was just a bunch of. It was just a bunch of random. And I think that's just the reality we need to live with right now. Harris English has already withdrawn from this week's. I doubt he's the last. Uh, we're just through, you know, 72 hours still, or 48 hours to go till they tee off. And we've seen that you can just get pulled mid round. I think yep. it's something to just take into account uh, when it comes to just maybe some uh, a sport that's already insanely volatile. <laughs> just yeah. adds a little bit more volatility to it. I do want to recap. Um, a couple things from last week. I know you wanted to mention some stuff, too. Uh, I want to start by saying our PGA projections, which are up on the site and behind our membership platform right now, the current members just have access to it, even though well, we've paused some of the subscriptions. But new members can come along, dfsr.com slash memberships. We did have our boy Mark McClellan sent us an email. Um, he he G, mass GPP uh, a bunch of stuff on FanDuel and cash for like thousands of dollars. You can yeah. see the screenshot. Because the screenshot, uh, I put it up on our Twitter account and over at Daily Fantasy SR over on Twitter. Uh, so that's our boy Mark. He's been he's super active in chat. Great dude. Uh, really glad to see him take down or not take down because he came in second, but it was kind of like a bunch of a bunch of lineups near the top uh, of the, one of the big. It probably all added up GPs. to a real nice payday. <laughs> well, it was. I, I I did it too, just from lower stakes one to kind of keep track of stuff as we were going, and it was just uh, the system continues to call stuff out. Now that was Fanduel. DraftKings is a little different story. I uh, was able to sneak two through six through the cup <laughs> <laughs> on DraftKings. What a disaster! I was really bad. I now there were a couple there were a couple chalk guys that didn't. Uh, Kyle Maricora, uh, Morikawa was uh, chalk. He did not make the cut, so it wasn't like it wasn't crazy to have some big names miss the cut last week at all. But it was definitely DraftKings was DraftKings and FanDuel ended up being different enough lineups that it kind of like they hedged against each other. How did you turn out? Last week, you were doing a little bit more showdown stuff. You kind of had a little more oppression idea about there was just going to be too much craziness around guys withdrawing, and you didn't really want to live with that kind of uncertainty. How did the week turn out for you, all things considered? Well, all things considered, it turned out – well, it ended good, but it started out terrible. Yeah, like we talked on the pod last week, I kind of went away from playing full tournament. The only one I did play for full tournament was uh, Wiley's Golflandia Listener League uh, for his podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it turned out pretty terrible. I got two of six through, so I'm kind of happy I didn't play full tournament because I had uh, DeChambeau, Justin Rose, Morikawa, uh, Fratelli, Patrick Rogers, and Tyler Duncan. Duncan and DeChambeau were the only ones that made it through the cut. The rest finished like outside the top 100, so it was a complete – disaster there um showdown round one and two also a disaster things didn't really go well so i took round three off uh just kind of a little bit of a mental break jump right back on round four using the optimizer as well as some of my own plug and plays with the optimizer and actually cashed really good didn't get all my money back for the week so i didn't end up break even i did end up losing some but uh round four definitely softened the blow a little bit the, the, the pricing on DraftKings for round four continues to be um, incorrect. So I just want to keep everyone as a heads up there. Brendan Todd and the ownership as well. Brendan Todd went into the on Sunday um, up two strokes yep. with something like, I don't know, 47% chance 
to win. If you want to follow Data Golf, uh, their percentage chance to win, he was like 62% owned in cash. Now I get he had a complete and utter meltdown. Um, That's with, an Oh my God! It was I. I couldn't even. I couldn't even watch it. I we were we were kind of like you know we weren't in the same room, but we were essentially watching together because yeah. we were just kind of talking the, online the entire time. And I don't know what hole it was like 12, 11, where he just chunked one out of the thing. I mean, he did something that like you, you I would do as a do. weekend, yeah, weekend warrior golfing stuff, like where he just kind of just like floats the entire green and just heads up in the rough on the other side. And that's something you do six beers deep and. Uh, you know, you're just kind of having fun with your friends. Anyway, he does that. I still want to say that result. That result. Um, kind of to the side. I know you have to count results, but it was still incorrect for his percentage ownership to be that low considering how many implied win points he had just going into Sunday. Yeah. So I still continue to scream from the mountaintops that if you are playing on DraftKings, um, there is a, still, a, I believe, to be a, a significant edge going into Sunday for their showdown just simply because of the scoring. Now, Dustin Johnson was 100% owned. Some of those Streelman was really high. Uh, so it's not, it's it, it's rounding itself out, but there continues to be an edge over there. All things considered, like I said, uh, I, I'm, you know, some of the bets were off. There was just, it was a weird week, uh, but I think we're going to, I still feel very confident in a lot of the process that we're bringing yes. here on the podcast, the projections and all that other stuff. I want to get into rocket mortgage this week, obviously I want to, but I do want to ask you something about miscuts. So we're looking at, this is such a weird time, right? Because the season essentially takes a break. Okay. And the players come back and we look at recent form, and I just don't know what to make. I, I want to get your opinion here because if I look at recent form and I look at specifically miscuts, and by the way, if you look at some uh, things that are correlated with just success on a, on a week-to-week basis, miscuts do have a pretty high correlation with – that's not we don't count that in the projections, but they're essentially counted because um, it just kind of looks at your long-term form. Yeah. But Miscuts are really important, and I'm also I'm on the mind that all not all miscuts are the same. Obviously, yes. When you look at that, when you look at the last three weeks, and you see missed cuts, do you are you looking at them the same as in the past? And I'm asking it because we know that the fields over the last three weeks have been major essentially like. major. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Major like they've been essentially majors. They've been absolutely stacked and loaded fields. And so when you look at miscuts, like you look at a Murakawa miscut last week, you look at a Justin Rose miscut. I know those guys aren't playing this week, but um, even some of these guys that we have have had, you know, MCs over the last three weeks, are you counting them the same or are you kind of willing to not give a guy a pass because of recent form, but to say, this is not the Travelers from the past. This is not the Charles Schwab from the past, right? <laughs> like this is yep. just, these are every single guy's playing. Like how do you have try to evaluate recent form relative to the field knowing that these fields are more loaded than they've been in the past well i don't put as much into the into the miscut as some like i know some people if if their golfer misses a cut they're like okay i'm never using this guy again or at least going to take a one or two week break because he screwed me or whatever i'm not of that mindset especially now and i wasn't before but especially now with the long break something that no one has experienced before this is all brand new coming back some of them practice we don't know that information who practiced who didn't uh, some of them we do some of them we don't so there, there's a lot of uh, unknowns out there a lot of question marks even before this i didn't really look at miscuts the same as you you said it perfect not all miscuts are the same this is why i think it was like two years ago on my sheet i went away from um just labeling a miscut as like a, a number 99 as a value just to calculate like an average finish or whatever over over long term um i changed that to actually go and calculate was that miscut like now it's top 65 and tie so was that miscut like a t70 or was that like a t135 did he miss the cut by seven strokes did he miss the cut by one stroke that's where i really implemented that into my sheets to get a better look at a player's performance because there's a huge difference between missing the cut by one stroke or 10 to them there's no difference whatsoever but to me when i'm looking ahead at you know statistics and stuff if i got a guy that has made seven straight cuts missed one by one stroke made three more in a row then missed one by one stroke i'm not worried about those two that he missed by one stroke it could be you have to dig in a lot more. Was there weather? Was was there an injury? Was you know? There's just so much out there. Versus a guy that's like consistently T135, T143, finishing at the back of the field. I'm way more concerned about those guys. 100. percent And like I said, from our projection standpoint, I'm not concerned with a miscut as a binary. That's not what no. we're doing here. Uh, we figured out early on that's simply not what we wanted to do. Though I will say, when you're lineup building around cash, where I'm going to do a little bit more of digging, at, you know, mass entering stuff, I'm not worried so much about. 
um, individual stuff. I'm kind of just going for sheer numbers at that point. So I'm just not, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go through the, you know, the round by round breakdown right. of every golfer when it comes to mass entering GBPs. That's just not a good process. Now, the, the, but when you're looking at cash, I kind of do want to pay a little bit more attention to it just to say mostly just for a check in. Right. And I just have noticed that we're just, we're just staring at a world where lots of good players are missing cuts and, and, yep. and, 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 I, and it's hard to count the recent versus the past because recent in terms of game log is still means many months out. Right. So it's like, yeah. it's still, yes, it's recent in terms of just overall tournaments, but it's not recent in terms of overall timeline. So, uh, it's been, it's, this is, a, I I think we're still trying to wrap our head around this um, and just trying to like know what counts and what doesn't, you know, what should count for more than others. I do, I do really want to say that long-term sample size is the thing that wins. And we're going to talk about that in terms of how our system and, 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 you know, sort of like some of your plays, which I think are both correct for just kind of different reasons or sort of differing from each other when it comes to the rocket mortgage before we move on this week. Yeah. Before we move on into the rocket mortgage, I just want to look uh, talking about these missed cuts, just a little bit of data. I put together, I put some more stuff into the sheet this week because I wanted to extract some more data more with since the return. So I'm looking at Charles Schwab, RBC travelers, all the players in this field this week, there are only seven players who have made all three cuts have played all, sorry, of the players that have played all three events in this field, there's seven that have made all three cuts. And then going down to players that have only played two events out of the first three, we've got another eight players that have made two of two cuts that have played two events, obviously. So that's a very small amount of the whole field that have played these events because they're just looking at the sample size of players that have played three events, we're looking at 44 players. So only seven of those players have made all three cuts. Yeah, and, 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 and the reason we talk about cuts, though, in terms of even though we're not using them for, to be necessarily predictive in terms of the number, we are using them to say the missed cuts end up being the most important thing to some degree because you just need your guy playing Saturday and Sunday. Exactly. So if, if you don't have your guy playing Saturday and Sunday, and if that number, like I said, is two through six on DraftKings, you might as well just uh, swipe right on the, the old app and go enjoy <laughs> the rest of your weekend because it's uh, it's just not going to happen. Exactly. You. So you can survive it. You know, We survived it a little bit on FanDuel with some of these guys last week, but um, that was mostly just because a couple chalk guys ended up not making it okay let's talk rocket uh rocket mortgage talk to me a little bit about the course i want to spend a decent amount of time on the uh on, on the bunch of plays here because we're looking at a slightly different field uh, break down the course a little bit in terms of maybe things that might be different this week than what we've been looking for over the last three which have been sort of similar i think well the last three all pete die courses no last two been. were pete die last two were pete die courses oh. right so we were kind of able to um Look a little bit sort of for from course similarity, I guess you'll say um, week to week. I do not believe that's the case this week. Talk to me about what we're looking for going into Thursday. Yeah, so the Rocket Mortgage uh, Classic here. This is only the second year they've had this event. Last year was obviously the first. Um, so it's at Detroit Golf Club in Detroit, Michigan. It's a par 72, 7,340 yards. So first par 72 since coming back from the break. The others were two par 70s and a par 71. Uh, a little bit shorter on the other courses. So this one's at a little bit of length here. Not that that has really proved to be much of a problem for the players. The field wasn't great last year. Although the field is a little less than we've seen the last three weeks, this field is still stronger than we've seen at this event last year. Nate Lashley, and some of you might be like, who? Uh, won the yeah. event last year, minus 25. Uh, absolutely insane. Um, the fairways are a little bit wi are wider, so it's very similar to last week, but this is a Donald Ross design, um, classic designer. He's got like over 400. I think he's been the architect of like over 400 courses worldwide. Uh, his two main ones that get used on the tour regularly, well, besides this one now, uh, is Sedgefield Country Club, which is the Wyndham Championship in the playoffs, and then we've got the Tour Championship at Eastlake Golf Club. So what he's really known for is using what is given to him rather than moving dirt around you know and using a bunch of big machines to make the golf course the way he sees it he see he goes and gets a piece of land uses what is there and, and kind of constructs the golf course around that so what that <clears throat> essentially does for a golfer's standpoint is no two holes are really the same um, they're not really set up something else that he really likes to do is use like lateral or, or sorry like long uh, angled hazards like your your bunkers aren't just one round bunker they kind of go down and into the fairway so it really puts thoughts into the player's head like do I challenge the end of that 
that bunker or do I stay low? Um, it really puts a lot of thought into using different shot shapes for the player. So it's not just favoring one player. I think any player can really win here. Although we've seen like Nate Lashley, like the top of the leaderboard last year was Lashley, Doc Redman, going to be super chalk this week. We'll get into that. Uh, Rory Sabatini, Wes Roach, Brant Snedeker. Uh, Joaquin Neiman, we talked about him quite a bit here lately. Ted Potter Jr., Brian Stewart, Patrick Reed finished high, and then Cameron Tringali. That rounded out the top five. Those were all the players that finished minus 17 or better. Um, so there's there's very little water. The big difference from last year to this year, because the scores were so low, um, what they tried to do was uh, bring the rough level up a little bit. It's at four inches now, which is pretty darn high. Like we're talking major um, level when we're talking rough length. Last year it was about three and a half. What I don't think it's going to change things a whole bunch just because the field averaged over 64% driving accuracy last year. The top 10 averaged over 70% driving accuracy. I don't think that's going to be a big deal. What that really puts emphasis on for me, and this was huge correlation last year, like over 0.55 um, in terms of correlation start uh, to finishing position, is strokes gained approach. Um, the approach was just absolutely huge last year. You're looking at the top of the leaderboard. They were averaging almost 80% greens and regulation for all the players inside the top 10 and the, like the field average was over 70 percent 78.5 percent for the top 10 players so approach is where you're going to really gain and not only approach like obviously greens and regulation how many greens you hit uh and give yourself a birdie chance i'm looking at proximity you need to be close to that hole you need to make a ton of birdies here so uh, really i'm looking at par four scoring i'm looking at strokes gained approach and more so on the proximity over greens and regulation side of it. And then putting. With so many guys hitting the greens, it's going to be who has a hot putter on the weekend that's going to be at the top of the leaderboard. So that's kind of some things that I'm looking at this week. Yeah, I think we're going to – and look, we're going to see – there could be a have-and-have-nots thing. Like you said, you know, the names that you kind of rolled down for the Rocket Mortgage last year is a different group than what we're seeing this year because we just have some studs. Not all of them. This is not nearly – I didn't mention this at the top, but this field is not nearly as loaded as it's been for the first three. No. Plenty of big names did not make the trip here. Uh, Kapka obviously is not here. Dustin Johnson is not playing. Uh, there's a bunch of other guys that have chosen. Justin Rose is in here. Uh, Justin Thomas. Okay, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of guys that have played – uh, previous weeks that for whatever reason just aren't making the trip here that being said there are some just guys that are that are studs that are going to be you know heavy on people's minds here just because they are names that ring out more than what this course saw last year and I think we yeah. and I think you know so that's where it's one of those things where course history one year of course history does it matter that, and it helps yeah. right it helps some okay can we look at do we get a little more of a sample size when we start looking at those other courses that you said like the tour championship sure then we're gonna add some better names when we look at tour now championship with that stuff. before you move on the tour championship is only 30 players so that's kind of uh takes away some of the sample size as well because it's a well, very small field well, right, because when you looked at that, and that was kind of where I was going to, I mean, I think I was going to go there next. Well, not really, because I was going to say that it, it's it's going to get some of the bigger names, but not as many. Like, Finau right. has played here the last couple of years. Fowler has, obviously, Bryson, Jason Day, although he didn't play last year. Uh, so you're getting some of the bigger names, but right, like, you're not getting, it's like, it's pretty rare. Let's Let's put it a different way. For the field this week, it's rare to have had the guys play the last two years on the tour championship, right? Like, um, like Hideki Matsuyama played the last two years. Okay. Patrick Reed, but that list is going to be short Webb Simpson. Yes. But these are all the best. These are all the best golfers though. Right. So it's like, so you're getting, if you performed well, great. But also if you performed poorly, it's, it's not, not the same. <laughs> it's not the same because if you were an average golfer in that field, that's way better than being the average golfer in the rocket mortgage. If that math makes sense. What I'm saying, right? Like you, yeah. if you're average, if you're average relative to round, uh, for the tour champion for the tour then yeah that's that's just so much better than than whatever like Cameron Tringali did last year at the Rocket Mortgage yeah. <laughs> against Nate, against yes. Nate Lashley and, and Doc Redman and guys like that so uh, I'm maybe I'm stumbling a little bit and trying to explain my thinking about why these are not apples to apples comparisons when it comes to when it when it, there's not apples to apples comparisons when it comes to course history because you have to factor in who is also playing at the courses have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why and you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything. No, everything's peachy. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of uh, Air Force One. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. 
510 declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Okay, let's talk uh, about who the plays are this week. And I'm going to start with the two guys that are just the most expensive, that have the best win odds. And at what point we want to make the decision to just sit, to prioritize the two guys that I think we can clearly say are the two best overall golfers uh, on in, in this event, and that's Bryson DeChambeau and Webb Simpson. Right now, DeChambeau has pretty ridiculous consensus six to one odds to win, which yeah. is like, which is it's, it's so funny because it's just such a crazy high number. And then Sims is not too far behind him, but consensus ten to one to win. These guys are. Not lapping the field. I mean, DeChambeau basically is lapping the field in terms of overall projection, and rightfully so, especially how he's been playing. But at what point do we want to sacrifice mid-range guys to get, and you don't have to put them in the same categories, you might not see them the same, to play these two guys this week? Because fading both feels like kind of suicide, but I also know that their salary counts, obviously, because it, and, it, and, it, and it gets increasingly difficult to get competent, I'll say, golfers into the, your lineup if you were to even play both, and maybe even just one. But give me your thoughts on the top two guys uh, when it comes to DeChambeau and Simpson. And if you disagree that these are the top two guys, and f- feel free. But I, it's they're in terms of just overall win. I guess Tyler Hatton, or excuse me, Ty- Tyrell Hatton is not too far behind him, but a thirteen to one consensus. Uh, but what are your thoughts here uh, on Bryson and Webb? Uh, I got Bryson and Webb as my one two. They're not one two on my sheet just because of some of the models um, and stuff. But if I rearrange my models a little bit and look more current form versus the long term. They're definitely one and two for me. Bryson's uh, slightly ahead of Webb. Um, I do like like what Bryson has been doing a little bit better for me. Um, of why I have him a little bit more is because of the par four scoring. He has been so consistent on par fours, and that's where I think the par fives this week uh, in terms of um, overall hole by hole average scoring difficulty per hole. The par fives are one, two, three, and four easiest holes on the course. So that kind of that kind of draws that back a little bit. I'm not using par fives so much in my stats because everyone's going to be scoring on the par fives. Par fours are where I think you can really separate yourself from the field, and that's where Bryson has really done that. He has gained strokes on par fours, I believe, in six straight and nine out of 12 rounds since the return, where Webb is kind of in that, uh, I think, five of 12. Uh, or sorry, he's only played this, this uh, eight rounds. So I think he's like four or five out of those rounds that he's played gaining strokes on the par four. So that's where Bryson really gives a little bit of an edge over Webb for me. But both of them, I agree with you, are elite plays. Um, I don't think you can get both in one lineup. That's going to be pretty impossible. For cash games, I don't think I'm going to either myself. I know the system is going that way. Um, So I'm interested to see, kind of hear some of the lower end plays that the system is liking there. I'm going a little bit more of a balanced (laughs) approach. I don't know if you're going to want to hear these names, so we'll wait. We'll <laughs> save that for a, we'll save that for a little bit near, near the end. I, I will say one thing, and I, I grouped them together, and it's a little bit unfair, but mostly to the Shambo here because the difference in his projection from one to two, so he's first, and then Webb uh, Web Simpson's second. The difference between his projection and Webb Simpson's is the same difference as Webb Simpson, and yet all the way down to sixth. Okay, so it's it's. It's pretty clearly DeChambeau, and then there's a, 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 I would say, a not insignificant drop off to Webb Simpson, and then it's closer when you get around below. So I don't, I think I, I get why sort of mathematically, it's the our, when it comes to optimization, it's prioritizing those two. But I will say it's not prioritizing Webb Simpson at that dollar amount nearly as much as DeChambeau. Like if there was a guy from those two to get away from, for me, it's easily get away from Webb Simpson and just play DeChambeau. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, our system does think it's kind of, like I said, like suicide to not play him specifically. I should so maybe being a little unfair to him to group them both together, uh, but mostly they were sitting out, they were standing out above the rest. And I do think, you know, from ranking and whatnot, that they're, mm-hmm. uh, are the two best golfers, but DeChambeau is just, I would say, He's entering a class of his own, especially when it comes uh, to this field. So if we're not going to play both of them, and I think I'm with you on that, I, I don't, uh, I, I get a little less comfortable seeing the other names at the bottom end of the spectrum when it comes to playing both of them. It gets a little bit easier to um, stomach, if you will, uh, when we get away from Webb Simpson. Yeah. Where are you looking in the next group? And I'm going to put that next group on DraftKings. That's going to be like the sub eleven thousand to probably it's like sub eleven thousand to mid nine thousands uh, range, and that's. 
I'll just I'll tell you the list if the listeners aren't looking at the, this group. It's Tyrell Hatton, Patrick Reed, Hideki, uh, Victor Hovland, Sung J M, and Ricky Fowler. And I'll, I'll throw it down to Tony Finau too because you know like we always got to talk about our boy. We love Tony but, um, Finau over at DFSR. Ma- major chalk, major chalk last week. By the way, um, yeah. he was among the highest owned. Maybe was the highest owned play on DraftKings. I should go back and look, but he was incredible chalk. So um, want to take this to say you know. Not pat ourselves on the back, but uh, so it wasn't like we were taking some crazy outlier guy when <laughs> no, we, took, when we took Tony Fien out here. But where are you looking when it comes to this next group after those two top guys that I mentioned? Yeah, I don't have my uh, article out yet. It'll be out shortly after the podcast here. But Bryson was number one in the article. Number two for me, you'll find, is Victor Hovland. Um, he has just been so consistent. Uh, he missed three or four cuts before the break, uh, finished 42nd at the Arnold Palmer. But since the return... Top 25s in all three, and he's gone T23, T21, T11, so he's trending towards that top 10. His ball striking has been absolutely elite. Um, The only thing that's really let him down um, is the putting. Putting is one of the most very, you know, the most variance out of any part of a golfer's game. Um, so as long as he's got elite ball striking, I'm going to continue to ride him because if he puts even a average putting round together, he's looking at a top 10 and in this field, probably going to be close to maybe getting that second career win. So that's the way I'm looking at him. Seems like it's a little expensive what we paid for him in the past. Again, that's relative to the field. 2,200 more than last week might scare a few people away, but I'm not hundred percent on that just because he's right now behind Doc Redmond and Bryson DeChambeau is third in uh, tag counts over on Fanshare Sports, uh, one of our partners that we have there. Um, excellent uh, source that I use in terms of looking at ownership projection and where things, where the chips are going to fall. So he's definitely going to be there for me. He finished T13 here last year. Like I said, he's got form, stats. The only thing that's missing for me is the putting, and that can come on. If he can get a hot putter, I think he can push for a win. Other than that, in that... Wait, real quick, before you move on from yeah. Van Hovland, I want to make one point about what you're saying about, about variance around the, the specific stat. And I think, I, let me just clarify it for those that maybe don't know it, and maybe if I'm wrong, then you need to clarify it for me. But when you're saying, um, when you say the the putters may be like the easiest thing to correct. So what you're saying is the only thing that's sort of been holding back even higher finishes is the putting. That's an almost even more encouraging sign. That's what you're saying, correct? Yes, right? because that is one every because that's I mean if we're, if we get down to the absolute game of inches or millimeters, then the putting piece is the piece where an inch or a millimeter left to right is the difference of being you know going absolutely bonkers. And if yeah. that's the thing that's holding you back, then actually that's a very good sign going forward for the rest of your overall finishing games that did i sum that up correctly is that like the, the correct way to think about that yeah because ball striking if your ball striking is off and we've seen this in the past where guys are like elite putters top five in the game they make cuts simply on their putter just because they're but they're never going to have the upside because they're not hitting enough greens they're not making enough birdies they're saving pars with their awesome putter or saving the big scores but their ball striking's not there they're never going to have that upside versus a guy that's ball striking really good he's making cuts he's going to get a win as soon as he starts dropping you know let's say five to six more putts in a tournament that you know two of them don't lip out one of them doesn't come up you know a foot short those start going in and boom all of a sudden he's in uh, you know the conversation on Sunday as in the hunt to win the tournament right okay and if you look at Hovland right now he's uh let's say fifth best consensus odds tied with Matsuyama to win right now at around 18 to 1 uh like you said the price has climbed a little bit it's up over 10,000 on DraftKings now or excuse me it's right at 10,000 on DraftKings now which is fifth highest overall most expensive play of the week but also warranted really really high projection um I will I want to get your thoughts here on Matsuyama actually because he we briefly talked about him before the podcast started and then we said we we're just going to hold it for the podcast because um, they just we thought we were going to maybe end up disagreeing about something. Not disagree. That's the wrong word. Uh, I want, but bring him up in terms of where you landed him because right now we have him at third overall highest projection uh, on DraftKings, uh, right above Finau, a little bit above Ty- Tyrell Hatton. Um, that's where he's living, and then it's then it's like Hovland and him. Where do you stand on him? Because I overall long term. You have to like what he's, you know, the kind of golfer he's been. It's not been, yeah, it's not been as good uh, since the restart. But that's just it's, it's in the form of one miscut at the RBC. Excuse me, he only played the RBC and he missed the cut. How much? But the, before that, uh, WG, WGC Mexico sixth, Genesis fifth, uh, Waste Management sixteenth, Sony twelfth, uh, WGC uh, HSBC eleventh, Zozo second. I know that's not as big of a one, but I mean these are CJ Cup at Nine Bridges third. I mean this guy had an incredible run before the break, and he but he misses the cut at RBC. 
I don't know. I kind of think that the projection is correct here, and maybe yeah. he's getting dinged a little bit by just only having played one out of the three events. What are your uh, thoughts here on Hideki? You really changed my mind talking about uh, the importance of missed cuts um, and what they mean. And I think a lot of people will glaze on or, you know, look at that and kind of keep that in their mind, um, fresh in their mind when it comes to ownership this week. Because we talked about Bryson and Webb, obviously going to be very popular. Victor Hovland's going to be very popular. Right in the middle of those guys, you got Patrick Reed, Matt Siama, and, and Tyrrell Hatton. I think of that group, of that, uh, let's say, 10,000 and up group, there's six of them. I think Matsuyama may be the lowest owned of that group, and I'm 100% on board with you. I think he's a great player. Like, he's been super consistent, and when he's not just consistent. He's putting up top fives, top tens when he's been super consistent before this. He missed a cut at the Heritage. Before the break, it was a T56 at the Arnold Palmer with three absolutely terrible rounds to finish that one out. Um, so we haven't seen the form come back yet. I think that's going to lead to low ownership. We know all about his upside and how hot. If he can get a hot putter going, um, I think he can be there like – there's only, looking at par and four and five scoring in this field on my sheet, there's only four players that rank top 15 in both par four and par five scoring. He's one of them. I absolutely love that combination, um, especially here. If you're going to be sinking birdies on the par fives while also gaining strokes on the field on the par fours, I don't see why he doesn't have a shot to be on that leaderboard come Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and I think from an ownership perspective, we might be able to take a W here from just him having not played, right? Like, it just and missing the cut. Like, missing yep. the cut of RBC and just sitting the next two out for whatever reason, I think that's just an off-the-radar thing, as opposed to some of these other guys like Hovland. Like, Hovland's a good example. By the way, this is not a dig at Hovland. His projection is incredibly high, too. Like I said, six overall highest projection. But uh, it might actually, oh, well, yeah, sixth. Um right in the same range, but of course you'd rather you'd feel better about playing Hovland going into this week if you just look at recent form, because yep. it's been amazing since the, since restart. So I'm not knocking that at all. I'm just saying that if you take it, if you if you broaden out your sample size and just say, look, I mean, how much different is Matsuyama this, at this point? Is he like is he is he worse than he was before because he missed one cut? No, okay, so I, probably not. I don't know. I, I I didn't sit with him over the quarantine and just watch every single thing he did. Right. So I I can't I can't claim <laughs> that you know what what's been happening for him or not. But sometimes you do have to trust sample size um, to just say, to at least tell you something rather than let recent form or recent bias uh, sway you in one direction. It's, it's less of a, it's not a, again, it's not a case against Hovland in particular. It's more of a case of like, let's not just let this one thing change our opinion uh, too much. Uh, some of these other guys, you know, thoughts on Fina. I think we see higher ownership him again. He still cannot crack over 10K on DraftKings, sort of no matter what the ownership or what anything happens with this guy. He just never is more, he just never all that expensive on DraftKings no. and always kind of seems like a value. And I, I guess people finally got onto it last week. Um, but what are your thoughts on Fina? And then we gaze 9,300 on DraftKings. Thoughts on Fina? And then we'll kind of step it down a, uh, a tier or two to talk about some value plays in the mid range. Yeah, Fina's just. Like we talked about last week, just so consistent, and the price doesn't really like in this field. He should be one of the 10K guys, in my opinion, just with his yeah. consistency. I mean, the price came up 1100 on DK, 700 on FanDuel, but I, in my opinion, just looking at long term um, consistency, I would not have Ricky Fowler more expensive than Tony Finau. I wouldn't even maybe have. Uh, well, Matsuyama, okay. Hovland is pretty close right there with Fino, you know, in terms of that. Uh, Tyrrell Hatton, he's just been super, I get he's been super consistent, red hot. He's picked up that win um, at the Arnold Palmer before the break. He finished T3 after the break in his one event back. So I get why he's more, but Tony Fino should not be cheaper than Ricky Fowler, in my opinion. What am week. I missing with, Re I'm, I'm going to interrupt you again. What am I missing with Ricky Fowler here? By the way, this is from a guy who said the system was like, if you don't play Ricky Fowler over the last two weeks and you're just a stone cold donkey. So I, I get that, like, I can see why, um, I, I shouldn't just call uh, call no mercy on Ricky Fowler here this early because our system has liked him, though it's finally getting away from it because he's been garbage. But the, the win odds seem kind of high. Like, he's, I mean, 30 to 1 now, which is not high, high. But um, am I just missing something? Is he Ugh. just, is he done? Like he's missed two cuts, but he missed a bunch of cuts before. He missed a bunch of cuts before the break, too. Um, has not really finished all that high. Hasn't had... Hasn't finished in the top 10 since back on January 2nd. So that's, you know, seven or eight different tournaments. What's up with Ricky Fowler here? I, finally, the numbers for us are getting away from him, thank God, because I don't want it to keep looking into what was going on here. But is it strike you as weird that his price is still in this range and the, yeah. even the win odds are kind of like <laughs> a step below the, the, the top class? Like I just I, I looked at him like, wow, man, what is what is going on here with Ricky Fowler? Uh, yeah, he's, he's just been terrible. He's not making birdies like he's he's had four birdies last week 
Uh, that's over two rounds before he missed the cut. A uh, week before that, he only had six birdies. And he's he's almost having, uh, how many bogeys did he have in that event? He had six. So he's six birdies, six bogeys. Um, he's just not making enough birdies. He's not hitting enough greens. The whole game just seems to be off. Like looking at his his stats here in this field, which I'm looking at the last three tournaments, how players have played. And some of them I get don't have the full sample size here. Fowler's played, uh, what is it? He's played twice since the return. So he is 90th and birdie or better gained in this field. And this is not the elite fields we're talking about from the last couple weeks. He's 92nd in par four scoring, 62nd in DraftKings scoring, uh, 79th in strokes gained putting. There is not, 46th is his best stat out of the main ones that I'm looking at. And that's strokes gained approach. So he's, uh, it's just, it's pretty much a disaster. I would say the way he's been playing, his price should be, I would say low 8K range, <laughs> mid 8K range. Yeah, like make us think about it. <laughs> exactly. Like put him at 8,500 and make us think about it a little bit. I, I just don't, the 9,500 just makes it the easy, for cash at least, makes it a pretty easy call Fate. to never even go there. So yep. I just don't even know, I just don't know why he's more expensive than Fina. I was, what, was making sure I just wasn't missing something. <clears throat> All right, let's walk down uh, a step down into uh, the next tier. This is probably in DraftKings. This is something like, you know, the sub 9,000 range. Uh, starting mid with, sevens. yeah, mid, man, let's say mid sevens up to about 8,800 with Rory Sabatini. That he's 8,800. Not to say we need to include him. I'm just giving him. He's the first guy below 9K, uh, and that goes down to you know like the Harold Varners and Maverick McNeelys of the world uh, in that mid 7K range. Who do you like in here? Uh, I just mentioned those two guys just as price uh, comparisons. Not to say that these are the guys you need to pick, obviously. Uh, but who do you like in this mid sevens to high 8K range over on DraftKings? Well, let's just get the elephant uh, in the room here. Let's just get it out of the way and address it right now. Doc Redman is going to be super chalked this week. Um, before I even looked at FanShare Sports, I kind of felt that way. One, what people were talking about on Twitter, um, that was like when pricing came out, it was like, boom, Doc Redman week. 8500 so the price has come up, but he finished second here last year. He's been trending in terms of form. The ball striking has been absolutely elite. Um, I'm just going to bring that up here real quick for him. Um, so he, he's just, he's number one in strokes gain approach, number one in opportunities gained, um, 26th in birdie or better, 13th in DraftKings scoring and 19th in par five scoring, 34th in par four scoring since the break. So the putter has let him down too. So it's kind of like, uh, Victor Hovland, uh, but I don't think he's in the same class of player as Victor Hovland at all. Um, but still he's 99th in strokes gained putting while having elite ball striking. So you could say that even though his form has trended towards, you know, what was a T11 last week, that he could have been even better if he'd sunk a few more putts, very similar to Victor Hovland. So that's kind of the chalk play. I think he's going to be a guy that I'm going to look to in cash for sure. The one play I'd like in this range, if you're going, like in GPP, if he's any chance he's going to be 25 to 30% owned, I'm probably going to be underweight um, in GPPs. And I like going to Christian Bazudin, who we talked about him a few weeks ago. You asked me about him. The sample size is very small when we're talking about him. But he has just been so consistent since coming over. Um, he's a European Tour regular, but he came over to the PGA Tour this year, and he has played, I believe, five events. Um, he's made the cut in four of them. And when he's made the cut in those four, they're all top 30 finishes. Yeah. Yeah, he's I, this is the one I'm struggling with a little bit because I'm trying to set in some parameters around sample size and at what mm-hmm. point your sample size can be trusted. He is one of those ones that is way too low in terms of what I just have for PGA stops. I only have 20 rounds for him, right. and that's just simply not enough. Now, if you if you take his 20 rounds, he's been amazing. Um, he's been you know not in the same range as some of these other kind of like stud guys, but he's. I'm trying to scroll real quick to say like the point nine eight seven. I should have had this prepared. Like he's in, he's like better than he's better than Ricky Fowler, right? He's better than he's better than a lot of the guys. He's better than Adam Hadwin. He's better than Brian Harmon. I mean these other guys. He's he's kind of trending toward Tyrell Hatton range, like in terms of just how good he's been. Um, just in terms of those twenty rounds, and I'm like, well, it's also just twenty rounds. So uh, this one's a little weird for me. I did pro- wait it like for most other guys. I will just kind of write them off until they've reached a threshold that I feel comfortable with. He's one where I'm willing to sort of fudge it a little bit because mm-hmm. he does have some chops on the European tour. And um, that's one's a little harder to rate also. So I don't bring as much Euro stuff in. But yeah, um, yeah I, I hear, I don't think he's going to have that high ownership mostly because it probably, I think most people will feel like 
they're not getting the same sample size either. And so I'm not worried about a fade there. Um, and I'm mostly just saying it because as I learned to just with these projections, it's at some point you have to make sort of just judgment calls on what enough of a sample size is. And he's one that, um, you know, I, I kind of manually adjusted because I wouldn't allow this to really happen for most other guys. So I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of a long winding answer, but that's kind of where I am with him. And right now, Bazudenhut has, uh, or sorry, Redmond has three times as many, or over three times as many tags on Fanshare as Bazudenhut. So I really do think he's going to be like half the ownership. So in GPP, if we see Redmond at about, let's just go ahead and say 25%, I think we're going to get Bazudenhut somewhere around 15%. Uh, maybe even lower, possibly not, but I think right around that 15% is where we're going to get him. So I'll take that 10% discount in GPPs and go a little bit overweight on him and underweight on Redmond. Our but system might be a little, cash. yeah, we're going to be awful Redmond a little bit here unless I decide to just make a judgment call on his projection. His just like his historical stats aren't going to get him there at the price. Right. Um, his projection is fine. It's not a bad projection. It's just that the price difference ends up becoming sort of paramount here yeah. based on the other the rest of the group that he's in. So I got to decide. If he was high seven K or even like seventy six hundred to seventy eight hundred, he would probably be in lineups. I would assume it'd be a lot. But actually, I'll give you an example actually of a guy who's within his range of projection, but is that thousand dollars cheaper? It's Maverick McNeely. Okay, right. So on okay. DraftKings, Redmond's eighty five hundred, McNeely is seventy six hundred. We have him right around the same projection. Redmond just a tick higher. Um, but this is a, this is an example of. You know, what do we do here? Because like, so give me your thoughts on Maverick McNeely because he's the exact example of if Doc Redman was 7,600. Well, according to our system, he is Doc Redman at 7,600, right? So like at what point um, is that, do you feel, I mean, would you feel comfortable with that kind of play on McNeely? Uh, systems kind of liked him over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Been decent. He's 9,300 on FanDuel. Uh, did make the cut in both weeks. T58 at RBC, T32 at Charles Schwab. Um, didn't get there for Arnold Palmer, but the Honda finished T11, Puerto Rico T27, uh, the Pro-Am, uh, the, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, whatever, that's was T5, and then Farmer's Insurance was T15. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got, he's has results here, um, not here at this course, but he's had results sort of short-term and longer-ish term, but do you see that? I, so, I'm, like I said, I'm using that 7,600 for the same exact projection guy on McNeely. Could you stomach a play like that this week? For cash games, yes, um, and this is a, this is a case that we were talking about before, like with Doc Redman and Victor Hovland with the elite ball striking but missing on the putting. McNeely has been the total opposite of that. He has been red hot with the putter and around the green, but has been absolutely terrible ball striking. He's 85th in strokes gained approach, 75th in birdie or better, 103rd in opportunities gained, so he's not even really, you know... It's, the approach game has really been taken away from his birdies, which makes sense. Those correlate. If you're not hitting greens, you're not going to have birdie putts. Um, but th- the putting has helped him get through and push through the cuts and make a lot of cuts. But that bad ball striking, like we talked about before, is really holding back him in terms of upside. So I, I like him for GP, or sorry for cash games just because I like the floor that he provides of making the cut at that 7600 price tag. I like the upside with Redmond a lot more because he's shown us that he's got those T11s with elite ball striking and shitty, I'm, okay, I don't want to call it shitty putting, but below average putting over the last couple weeks, especially last week. So that's kind of how I sort those two out. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And that's going to be something we're having a little trouble kind of calling out because it is just going to go round by round and less about how you're getting there in each round, which is as yeah. we grow as we grow with the system, we'll continue to factor those things in, which I do think is going to be important. Uh, a couple other guys that um, you know we just have here as possible value plays, though I haven't kind of just fully landed uh, on you know the final projection. Adam Hadwin have in here, 8,200 on DraftKings. Uh, Brant Snedeker at 7,900. He's looking like something of a points per dollar value. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on these two guys. Uh, who was the second guy? You it was uh, the first one was ha- the first one was Hadwin and the second one was Snedeker. Snedeker, okay. So Hadwin, I'm on board with in terms of again with cash games. He just hasn't, you know, of guys that are in that same price range, he hasn't shown anywhere near the same upside in terms of like top fifteen, top ten, um, uh, DraftKings scoring. He's been putting out like top twenty or sorry T twenty fives to like T forties, T fifties. So he's consistently making the cut right now. He just hasn't flashed that upside. So he's more of a cash play for me. I love the ball striking uh, for Hadwin and his long term consistency of making cuts. Snedeker, I haven't really looked a whole bunch into. I know he did good here last year. I think he was T5 here last year. He's got some decent... Um, he, he's always a consistent guy, but I'd rather go down myself to Harold Varner. Um, doesn't Never really thought of him as a guy that would be consistent for cash games, but the ball striking has been absolutely elite. He's fourth in strokes gained approach over the last three tournaments. 
Um, eighth in DraftKings scoring, fourth in opportunities, third in birdie or better gained, and the puttering, putting is like 85th, so it's, it's actually been pretty bad um, in terms of putting while the ball striking has been really good, and he's been consistent in terms of his finishes as well. Um, he missed the cut at the RBC, 19th at the Charles Schwab, 32nd at the Travelers, and had made three, three straight cuts before the break as well, so he's now put together five of six uh, made cuts with a couple top 25s in there. Um, over his last six. So I'm really looking at him more than Snedeker, but uh, I think possibly Snedeker might be a little bit lower owned. Yeah, uh, we had we had Varner right there with Maverick McNeely in terms of projection, right around the same. Um, it was, I'm wrong uh, about maybe... Snedeker. <laughs> Snedeker is gonna, Snedeker's top three in tags right now, so there's a chance he's going to be high owned. So maybe I'm right, and um, Varner might be a little bit lower owned than, than Snedeker. Interesting. Yeah, right now, backwards. if I... Right now, no, that's okay. I mean, like right now, our DraftKings lineup is something like Bryson DeChambeau, and then it ha- and then, but then it has these guys. It has like you know, Finau. I can stomach that. It has Snedeker, seventy nine. Maybe we could work in Doc Redmond in there and t- take a hit somewhere else. Like I'm not sure. It's like weird. Cause the, the the problem is getting DeChambeau in there um, just does really hamper the rest of your yes. lineup in a way that like you're gonna have to stomach somebody. So, but again, I just can't really overstate the fact that he's just. So good compared to the field, and and if there was a if there was a, a guy to probably just break the bank out and take a risk on the lower end, I do think it's Bryson in this case. I, I'm happy to be yeah. wrong about that, I suppose, <clears throat> but it just doesn't seem correct to be on a fade for him this week, just judging by how much better than the rest of the field he is. Let's uh, any other kind of oh wow, we're getting we're gonna get close to an hour here, which is cool. But the uh, what other any other value oh, guys you're looking at this week? Last week you were on Will Gordon, which was sick. Um, there was a bunch. Of, there was <laughs> there was a couple other kind of out of nowhere dudes that came um, along the way. I mean, we had uh, you know, Will Gordon. Did he end up finishing T three? Because I know he had to finish T three yeah. to get his card. Did he get there? I, we were kind of sweating yeah, that. Did. And then when the rain when the rain delay came last week, I kind of walked away and just kind of checked back in. Um, that's so huge was, for him. That's like a yeah. life changing thing for him. Like to to get that card and get that security, that job security that you don't have to Monday qualify or you don't have to worry about sponsors exemptions anymore. You're just you're in the field. You can post, you enter it, you're in the field. Like it's it's absolutely amazing for him. Um yeah, my two value guys last week, that was the highlight. I was should have talked about that in the intro. My two value guys I wrote up were Will Gordon and Tyler Duncan. Absolutely crushed it. Um, and that's Mark said uh, Will Gordon was in his lineup at like 0.8% owned or something like that. So that was yeah. that's a huge win. I'm just going to pat myself on the back here one more time. Um, it was also nice because I seen some people on, on Twitter like, who's Will Gordon? Did anyone even talk about him? Did anyone even roster him? This is hilarious. And I just wanted to reply like, um... Go check out my article over at dfsr.com. <laughs> yeah, I had him go. there. But anyways, he gained. He went up quite a bit in price. Where Tyler Duncan kind of stayed in that seven k. It's only three hundred dollars more. But I'm. I like Gordon more for GPPs. I'm going down a little bit into that seven k range. I like Tyler Duncan in all formats this week. He's just shown some consistency um, with his ball striking one hundred percent. So I'm going with him. He missed the cut here last year. I'm not too worried about that. His iron play right now is nowhere near. Uh, or sorry, his iron play last year coming into this event was nowhere near where it is now, so I'm not really concerned about that one-year sample size. Um, Peter Uline's a guy I will look at in terms of GPP in that range as well. Same with Sam Burns. I like those three. And then I'm going to just go back in the Wayback Machine here and see if you remember this name from, oh, let's go five years ago, uh, before you even knew who I was. Um, Sean Stefani, does that ring a bell? No, five years? I feel like I've known you forever. I guess it's only been five years. I feel like we've been talking since, yeah. I I found DFSR on Twitter, and you guys were looking for a PGA writer. So I contacted you on DM, and you said, okay, send me a write-up. Pick a player of this week's event. I forget what the event was, but I'll always remember the player. It was Sean Stefani, and I I did a little write-up on him. He actually even made the cut that week, but you had replied back within, I bet you, 20 minutes. This is the best write-up I've seen so far. You're hired. (laughs) (laughs) I I had to bring this up this week because it has seriously been five-plus years. I can't believe it. That's crazy. I, I, I only, not to go down in the Wayback Machine, but uh, I do remember <laughs> James and I talking about, and for those that don't know, if you're new to the podcast, James Davis is uh, the other co-founder of DFSR, um, talking about, I was like, dude, we may have found a guy that likes PGA, NASCAR, and hockey, the three exact <laughs> sports that we don't like. Um, this is unbelievable that this guy, like this guy was genetically created in a lab to come work for us because he, because uh, we just, because we just don't, he just figured out that there's the three sports that we just don't have a single clue, I mean, this is years and years ago, uh, a single clue about, and uh, yeah. 
yeah, dude came. So I didn't know, but I did not. I would never. I would never in a million years would have remembered. Uh, <laughs> would have remembered this. By the way, I didn't know you were going to bring this up because I'm actually now. I'm trying to rifle back through my emails to see if I can to, if I can find it. I did see one email that had a subject line called "turd," so I'll go back and look about what that what that was about. <laughs> I'm not sure why you would have sent me something with "turd," but no, yeah. Any other, get, walk me through a couple of the any other chief dudes that you like? Uh, kind of maybe come out of nowhere, dudes. Yeah, and the reason I, I had Stefani is 6,300. I don't think I'm going to go there in cash. I mean, he's a guy I would definitely consider in cash if you're going to Bryson or Webb Simpson. Um, he hasn't played since the Puerto Rico Open back in February, so there has been an extended break. But before that, he had made every cut except for the first one of the year at the Greenbrier way back in September. So he was five out of six making cuts. He was kind of consistent there. He's made the cut here last year, T35. He came in with not great form into this last year, so I, I, that's why I'm kind of discounting that. At 6,300, I'll take a shot in, in GPP. Or, like I said, I will approve of him in cash if you are going with like loading up on a Bryson kind of Stars and Scrubs cash lineup. Other than that, um, I'm, I'm really building for cash games that mid-range, going around like Hovland, Redmond, Bazudenhut, Harold Varner, uh, we talked about, and then the three values that I'm looking at, Uline, Duncan, and Burns. More Duncan for cash and Uline and Burns for GPP. But that's really where I'm at right now for values. Yeah, that's like not too far off, I think, where from where the projection system is. Um, I gotta be honest with you, I was like half listening for that because I actually found the email um that you that you sent. Nice. So I was actually I was re I was furiously scrolling. So if I don't respond to each and everything that you just <laughs> said over the last, just know that I was doing something equally important, which was circling through. Perfect. It's a forty e it's a forty email thread between you and I. It was from January twenty seventh, two thousand fifteen. <laughs> so you are right, we're actually at five and a half 15. years. Um yeah, and you wow. uh and then yeah, you said you sent me a full fantasy golf golf article. Um, yep, Sean Stefani. There you go. After considering all the information in front of me this week, the guy that will be in the most lineups for me is Sean Stefani. Comes to the Phoenix sixth in the ball striking, forty seventh <laughs> distance, and on and on and on it goes. We should frame this, buddy. This is uh this is the this is the start oh, of something beautiful, beautiful and robust over the over the <laughs> the years and years. That five and a half years, I simply can't believe it. Well, it feels like nothing, and it feels like forever. Um, so anyway, I can't. I don't have too much of a response about what you just said about my cool. internet got a little weird too during that time. So I kind of only half heard it. This is not exactly the professional sounding podcast that you want to hear on the way out, but uh, that's all right. If you want to go check out Chris's article, he's going to have picks up for the Rocket Mortgage later on today. We'll cover a lot of what we talked about um, over uh, over the course of the podcast and much more because he just gets really in depth with his stats. You can also uh, go sign up for either go dfsr.com slash membership and that will bring you to PGA Optimizer which will also give you, that. so that's the PGA projections for DraftKings and FanDuel but also give you access to Chris's sheet or if you just want Chris's sheet you go over to Patreon slash Jaegerbombs that's uh, J-A-G-E-R-B-O-M MBS. That's it, right? There's no number at the Boom. end. Um, and I'll put nope. uh, I'll, I'll put that link over there too. So if you just want Chris's sheet, go over and check that out. That's a monthly subscription as well. Definitely, definitely, definitely worth it. As others in the industry have shown us by trying to take what he does and put it up as their own work. So um, the proof is <laughs> the proof is in the pudding. From other people just wanting to use that as and say it's theirs. Uh, that's the most sincere form of flattery sometimes. Flattery. Cool imitation. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, it's, it's flattery once it stops. Um, once it's going on, it's a little bit annoying. <laughs> so the, uh, but you can go check all that stuff out. We'll be in the chat room. Uh, that's part of the dfsr.com slash, mem uh, com slash membership membership uh, where we're going to be talking about some of the bets too. Uh, we went through bets last week. We'll go through lineups. We'll be talking all that stuff over there. So go check all that stuff out, buddy. Enjoy this weekend of golf. Glad you sent you sent us that email five and a half years ago. It's been a match made in heaven. Uh, and <laughs> good luck in the Rocket Mortgage. Thanks for putting up me for with me for all this time, and good luck to this week, everyone. All right.